Leviticus chapter 15. As we come to Leviticus chapter 15, we come to a chapter that's a very unusual chapter in the Bible. Having read through the Bible many times on my own and having surveyed Leviticus, I have never actually taught this chapter as I, any other chapters, essentially, of Leviticus. But I'm familiar with them. And in preparing for chapter 15, I found myself having to do more homework than I normally would because it's the law of bodily discharge. In our family, when our kids were growing up, we used to say, that's potty talk, right? No potty talk, right? Like, Timmy. Why do I say Timmy, right? But Timmy, Timmy, no potty talk, right? Um, But this is God's potty talk. This isn't some bill legal bill being written with really evil, demented potty talk, with a skewered evil intent. This is God's potty talk, rated G, that's humbling to us, both for men and women. It's a humbling chapter. For me, I read it's like, oh, it's humbling. But, you know, as you get older, there's a lot of things that humble you. And the ultimate thing that humbles you in the end of your life is, and when you gauge when you're a senior citizen, like, what you're, you lose freedoms as you get older. Like, you know that. You don't get to drive, then you can't do this. And there's, it's, a, it's a retraction of freedoms as you get older, just because you can't do it anymore. And having ministered to many people who have been invalided through accidents or through old age, there's something very humbling, humbling about when someone's bedridden and you can't go to the bathroom anymore. And people come, they do the, bed, the bedpan and that kind of stuff. It's very humbling. So... May this text just remind us that we all have a very humbling ending. And we want to become more humble as we move toward the kingdom from temporal to eternal. And though the outward man, the outward woman is perishing, the inward man, the inward woman is being renewed daily through Jesus Christ. And we are being transformed from glory to glory. So keep that in mind as we read God's version of potty talk for the human body. I'll read the entire chapter, and then I'll give you some historical background and some application. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regards to his discharge. Whether his body runs with discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it's his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean which he who has the discharge lies. Everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has discharged sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has discharged shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has discharged rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has discharged touches has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has discharged touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he who has discharged is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water, then he shall be clean. On the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. The one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. 
So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. Now, if any man has an admission of semen, then he shall wash his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an admission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge and is discharged from her body as blood, she shall be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall, be, shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of uncleanness discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle meeting. And then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for the one who has a discharge, for the one who emits semen and is unclean thereby, and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either male or female, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. I point out to you, verse 32 says, this is the law. Anything that's God's law is worth taking a good look at and considering what the background is and all the details. Well, first thing we see here is that it's unclean but not sin. Did you catch that? It never says it's sin. It's unclean. So there's a hygienic element clearly in this that deals with hygiene and how germs spread. So right away, we need to make sure we understand it's unclean, but there's not a definition of sin. In fact, the offerings are the burnt offering and the sin offering. And we talked about the sin offering is more how we are. Romans 3.23, we all sin. The trespass offering is for specific sin. When you have the trespass offering, this is what I did. You bring that offering. The sin offering is everybody because we're sinners. And we, draw, we cover that when we covered the offerings. So it's clean and unclean. There's the men and there's the women. They're just split kind of right down the middle. You might have also noticed that for to be declared clean for the man, it's the same thing as the woman. Did you catch that as well? It's like this is the clean, this is declare a man clean. This is what happens. Declare a woman. This is what happens. So there's the potential and the desire to be cleansed and declared clean hygienically in this context. Now, in studying this, because I've always just in my mind, and maybe like you've read this before in your devotions, if you didn't take time to look up commentaries, and I thought like, oh, I just picture like unclean, like if you like, like an infection, like pus or something like that, just something like, ugh, you know, like that kind of unclean. But the commentators pretty much agree that they believe this deals with STDs, like sexually transmitted diseases. 
that this is the type of uncleanness it's talking about contextually. And since we're going to get quite a few chapters on this stuff, or quite a few, yeah, we get a couple of chapters dealing with the type of sin that the people in the land had. This is almost like a prelude to it. Now, we also know that in the idolatrous worship of the Canaanites and what they did is they had their temples and they included sexual morality in their temples and their places of worship. So you will also notice that here in verse 31, the Lord said that there's no uncleanness that they defile my tabernacle, which is among them. So God even kind of brings in the medicine kind of, he does bring in the central place of worship, talking about uncleanness if the hygiene is not proper. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is this chapter just kind of, not kind of, but is it medicinal on its purpose? Is it, is it explaining to us how to not spread STDs or other diseases or like MRSA or something like that? We talked about like very transferable diseases. Is it just that or is there something more? Well, it doesn't clearly say there's something more. But we know, like with the unclean and clean animals, there was something more as defined for us in the New Testament in Acts chapter 10, right? Remember that a couple weeks ago? So probably there is something more, but it's pretty speculative to cover it. One thing that really comes forward from this chapter, though, that brings our attention to the New Testament is, of course, the woman with the flow of blood, right? Because this passage would have impacted her life. She was unclean for 12 years. So everything she laid on, everything she touched, became unclean. For 12 years, this woman had the stigma there in the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels of being unclean. She, she wasn't a leper. It wasn't the same as being a leper, but she was unclean. And it would have been looked upon as a curse. Like she has a flow of blood and it just won't stop. And it was considered unclean. And because of that, she couldn't go into the places of worship She was excluded. So she couldn't, under the law of the Old Testament, like she couldn't come to the sanctuary at worship generation, if you will, because that's just the way it was. It's a shadow of things to come. Jesus took all of uncleanness. You talk about Jesus humbling himself to become a man too. How humbling is that to be God and put himself in a human body and to take on which is unclean? And let's face it, as beautiful and as perfect as Adam and Eve were without sin in their reproductive systems, which God set up. So it's a beautiful thing. The menstrual cycle is a beautiful thing that God designed. And it's amazing, isn't it? Like, it really is amazing. Like, just the reproductive system of the human body is probably the greatest reproof of evolution and just the idea that dumb luck would create such a thing. So intricately detailed and just the point of conception where the semen and the egg fertilize and there's one cell and everything that makes you who you are is in that one cell. The computer code, the DNA, all of it, it's right there. And that cell becomes two cells and four cells and eight cells and that DNA strand that makes you like no one else. And you just, like it says in Psalm 139, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what happens at the point of conception. And that's why we defend the unborn and we speak up for the unborn. Because you're no less human at one cell than you are on your deathbed at the age of 100. You're completely human from start to finish. You're essentially human from start to finish the way God made you. And your life is valuable. And so now we come back to the woman and she has this menstrual cycle that has gone wrong. Now, of course, the thing about 
Adam and Eve being fallen from their perfection and their conception, at that point of conception with one cell, within the cell is the sin nature, thus the sin offering. And once that cell becomes a, full, a, a human being in his birth and begins to run around and be a toddler, we all know that sin begins to show itself, the trespass offering, the rebellion of two-year-olds and three-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 80-year-olds, this rebellion. It's in every cell. It's in every cell to rebel against the Lord. That spiritual sin nature is passed on to us, and thus, even though we're developing as a child, we are dying. We were born dead in trespasses and sin, and we're facing death, right? Because the wage of sin is death. So even when you're a three-year-old, like my little Zippy, my granddaughter, she's actually dead spiritually. And she's going to live long enough, she will begin to look older and be moving toward that decay. So this is the potty talk of the Bible for fallen humanity, but the miracle of birth still happens with conception and life. Now come back to the woman. So here's this woman with this beautiful design like all women have for reproductive purposes, and something's gone wrong. Something's gone, gone wrong with lots of our bodies. I can look around the room. I know what kind of ailments and things some of us face, have faced in this room. We break down. Things go wrong. Sooner or later, we're all going to break down and die, right? Like, sooner or later, something's going to kill us. Our, our ticker's going to quit ticking. And something went wrong. And she was young because she's still in a menstrual cycle. And it just would never end. And her life was terrible. And you know the parallel of her life and the life of Jairus' daughter, because of course they're linked together, the story of the woman with the flow of blood. We don't get her name. There's only one name for her in the Bible. You, you know what it is, right? I've taught it to you before. What's her name in the Bible? Daughter. Jesus calls her daughter. Which is fascinating because she's yoked with Jairus' daughter, the, the ruler of the synagogue. It's an incredible story. For 12 years, Jairus is the dad with his one daughter, his 12-year-old daughter that he loves growing up. You know, the pony birthday party when she turned seven. You know, the, the swim over on the Sea of Galilee when she turned 11 with all of her girlfriends, right? The camp out. All the stuff you do for your only child, a dad and his daughter. Are you kidding me? Like he would stop all the business of the synagogue when she showed up to come say hi to daddy. And she'd sit on his lap. Like that's, that's how that would work. Think Pastor Chuck and Cheryl Broderson when she was a young girl. That's how it would be. And as she had a, a disease, well, she was dying. And as Jairus had come for Jesus and Jesus was going to her house, they're going through the mob and the woman who Jesus calls daughter touches his tassel She's unclean. So technically, right, we just read the text. What would she do if she touches him, what we just read? She would defile him. We read that. So technically, daughter defiles Jesus the moment she touches him. But just like the leper we saw just a week ago, that we don't defile Jesus. He cleanses us. Our defilement does not defile him. It doesn't work that way. His holiness transforms us. And she grabbed his tassel and she was immediately healed. 
She was this woman. She was this woman. And when Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, you say, who touched you? Look at everyone around here. And she came forward and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Just like Jesus said to the one of the 10 lepers, we talked about this on Saturday, the one of the 10 lepers that came back, your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. What's very profound about that story is, if you connect the dots, later on, about a chapter later in Mark's account, we read that everyone who touched Jesus was healed. But it was the woman with no name and the full of blood who was unclean, according to Leviticus 15, who touched Jesus and healing went out from Jesus. She was healed. He called her daughter and she went her way and could go to the synagogue next week and see Jairus and his daughter at the synagogue the following week. The daughter who was raised from the dead. What an amazing story, but we don't often think about the chapter later where Jesus is in the peak, in the zenith of his ministry. It says, as many as touched him, he healed. It's a fascinating story. The woman of Leviticus 15, daughter, was the first one that we read of who reached out and touched Jesus, and he healed her and cleansed her. And then many came and touched him, and as many as touched him were healed. So, however bad it might look for any of us in chapter 15, it'll look up and look to Jesus because this is not where he leaves us. He's got so much more than this. But this chapter, it makes very clear that we were created in this beautiful capacity for reproduction, but we are marred by sin. We are marred by sin, and it affects every aspect of our lives, even our physical bodies. Going forward in chapter 16... We come to the Day of Atonement. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come just at any time into the holy place inside the veil. That's the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. Before the mercy seat which is on the Ark, lest he die, I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with the linen sash and with the linen turban. He shall be attired. These are the holy garments. These are our holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, and one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell, and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord. That cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall bring some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. 
Here we go. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Again, just rich foreshadows and types of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he would do in his coming, what he would accomplish on the cross and his resurrection and all these things. But let's start with Aaron, the high priest. This, of course, is Moses' brother, Aaron, the high priest. And we've covered this before, but to remind ourselves that there were many subsequent high priests. Obviously, the high priest went on for 1,500 years. That's a really long time. Again, you think of dynasties, just monarchs, you know, like countries, 1,500 years. That is a really, really long time. And they had high priests associated with Israel for 1,500 years. When Jesus came, of course, there was Ananias and Caiaphas. There were two high priests because there were political positions bought with power. But if you go from Aaron to Ananias and Caiaphas, there's 1,500 years. And think how many generations that is. So when I think about my, my, my forefathers, the flag of my fathers, and I think of James Truesdale fighting in the Civil War for the Wisconsin Regiment and seeing action at Gettysburg, that's my dad's mother's grandfather. And I've been to the cemetery markers there in Richmond Center, Wisconsin. They're decorated with Civil War veteran markers in the cemetery there. I've been there with my dad and my sister and cousin Jimmy about 20 years ago. And, uh, and we have photos and we have the letter he wrote from the war. We have the actual original letter. I have a document that goes back to 16, excuse me, uh, 1864. It's one of our treasury. It was in my dad's uh, uh, lockbox at the bank. It was there, the letter that he wrote home from the Civil War after he was wounded. A year recovery at Bethesda Hospital, the Union Hospital, before going back to the front all as a teenager. It's amazing. That seems so long ago, doesn't it? I mean, Civil War is a long time ago. 1,500 years. That's like about 150 years, right? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, 1,500 years is a long time for high priest to go in year after year after year and do the same thing once a year, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And as the high priest, starting with Aaron, and then to Eliezer, and then to Phineas, and then on down... As they would do what they did, they would go where no man could go. Only the high priest could go in the holiest of holies. That's incredible. One person, and you had to be, you know, an Israelite. You had to be from the tribe of Levi, and you had to be a, a Kohathite from the sub-tribe of Levi, and you had to be of the house of Aaron. I mean, it's like you just, it's like the Romanovs, you know, the Russian czars. It's like you had to just be right in the birth line or it wasn't you. And they came, and they came, and they came. And they lived, and they died. Now, the book of Hebrews, the New Testament, tells us a lot about these high priests. And they would go in once a year and do this responsibility. But the most profound thing that stands out to us, we just read, is that they had to make an offering for themselves first. So that once a year, he's going in. He's like, man, I'm going into the Holy of Holies. Like, it is, it is the day. I mean, you talk about one day a year, and you're the, you know, like all the other Levites are like, dude, count down 33 days. Ten days, like countdown to a wedding day, right? Four days, one day. Like, it, it, this is it. This is the countdown. And you'd show up that day. And remember how we talked about with the offerings? Like, you'd bring your own pets if you, you know, for the offering. That was like such a sobering thought to think of that when we taught that. Well, first thing you do on that day is you got to go grab a bull. And you're going down to work on that day, and you got the bull. And that bull's not for your neighbor. It's not for your cousin. It's not for the king. It's for you. You had to bring the bull. And all these high priests, 
year after year, generation after generation, were reminded that their offering was incomplete, that they were sinners, and that their offering did not complete the process, but had it repeated year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium to next millennium. That's amazing. And what this teaches us is man can never save himself. Even the one chosen at the highest level to represent something on the Day of Atonement. Because he is a sinner. And every year he came back, he's not free from his sin, just like we're not free from our sin in that sense. I mean, we've been forgiven of our sins and his treasures and earthen vessels. But if we say we don't sin, we lie and the truth's not in us, First John tells us. But it's not like we wake up and say, I can't wait to rebel. But we just, we make mistakes. But we're under construction and it's not yet revealed what will be, but we are being transformed from glory to glory. And you'd like to think that's how the high priest was. But however he might have felt good about himself, and wouldn't you want to feel good about yourself if you're the high priest going to Yom Kippur? I mean, I'd be on your best behavior before Yom Kippur. Like, you know, like you're at work and you just want to give some sass back to Brother Moses. You're like, you know what? Let's just, I got to go in the Holy of Holies in seven days. Probably not a good idea to, you know, ramble over nothing that means anything, right? <laughs> you just, it'd be a restraint. Or Moses would look at you like, bro, Holy of Holies in like 13 days. 13 days, Aaron. Think, think about what you're going to say right now. Aaron's wife, honey, you know where you have to go in four weeks, three hours and 22 minutes. The bull's in the backyard right now. It'd be a restraint. But it'd be a reminder. Every year he was reminded, you're a sinner and you need a savior. That high priest could never be the savior. And that's why in Hebrews we're told that the priests of the Levites could never save anybody, nor the blood of what? Bulls and goats. What do you have here? Bulls and goats. That's why Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats cannot save us. It has to be the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And that's why we're told he's a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not of the tribe of Levi. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. But Melchizedek, of course, who appeared to Abraham before 400 years before this time, is the priest that has no beginning, no ending, the prince of peace, and Abraham paid tithe to him and bowed homage to him in Jesus of the line of Melchizedek. The great mystery to it. A type of Christ, maybe Christ in the Old Testament. But either way, Jesus is our high priest who doesn't bring the bull once a year. He's our high priest, according to order Melchizedek, who gave his life once. He doesn't give his life twice. That's why the veil was torn from top to bottom when he died on the cross. That's why there's no more animal sacrificial system for us. Because he's the great high priest, according to order Melchizedek, who entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf, has entered the Holy of Holies, and we're told, even as Aaron would intercede for the people in just a moment, that Jesus, what? He ever lives and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy of Holies is the place of God's presence. Aaron had to bring blood. I mean, the east side, think of the details. The east, not the west. I'm like, okay, Long Beach West, you know, Irvine East. Yay. When you go in the tabernacle, you don't, you like, you pressure, like sometimes you kind of like, you you know, the more important something is, the more like, like, you might overthink. It's like, okay, east, west, east side is where the blood goes. Seven times. Right? You ever, you ever done a wedding rehearsal? You know, like you do all this stuff at a wedding rehearsal and you practice everything. Next day, no one even remembers it. 
because the adrenaline's so intense. So when you're the pastor, it's like, okay, no, you're here. Remember, you're, you're here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, someone get the flower girl's flowers. Flower. Yeah, put it over there. She can sit with grandma right there. You know, like the more intense something is, the more we can overthink it. And like, look at these details. But it all began with him first, that he needed to be saved. And he's got sin. But Jesus enters in to save us. So he's never offered up again. This is why the whole idea that we have to get resaved or resaved or resaved is ludicrous. And there are people that believe that. You know, like, Jesus didn't rise from the grave and seat the right hand of the Father to leave us incomplete and groping in the dark. And we're told in, on every day under any circumstance that we can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. He is our great high priest who understands our weaknesses, like Leviticus 15. You know what I'm saying? He understands potty talk and how to deliver us from it. He understands our greatest moment and our weakest moment. He was in all points tested as we are, and therefore he's able to save to the uttermost those who trust in him from the holiest of holies by his spirit for us in time, space, and matter. So this is the shadow, but Christ and his current place at the right hand of the Father is so much more and so much more superior. And can I get an amen? Amen. Aren't you glad Aaron's not our, our advocate? I mean, can you imagine a son of Aaron's trying to help us on August 11, 2020? Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? The Huns are at the gate, you know? Aaron, help us. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> help. <laughs> You're the final authority. You're not a man like Aaron. You're the son of man, the Messiah of Israel. Now we read on because once he did his business for him and his family, he does business for the people of God. Verse 15. Then, that is Aaron, he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil. So now he's in the holiest of holies. Remember, the tabernacle is a tent. There's the holy place. It's about two-thirds of it with the showbread and altar of incense and whatnot, the candle, the light, the three things. But then the curtain was the Holy of Holies, that last kind of 10 by 10 room where the Ark of the Covenant is in the, with the Ten Commandments in it. And so that's where he's going to go. He's, he's going to go behind the veil. He's going inside the veil with the blood for the people. Verse 15, it's for the people. Do with that blood as he did with the blood on the bowl of the bowl and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions. So he's making atonement for the place, plus the people, for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting what remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. And shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land. And he shall release the goat in 
the wilderness. Thus, we get the scapegoat. Last week, we got the bird that flies away, right? The two birds, the one, the blood for the bird, and fly, birdie. You're free. Soar with the Lord, right? Here, it's the scapegoat. Scapegoat. Someone's going to have to pay. This is that American term, Western term, scapegoat. It's been around a long time. It's biblically based that someone's going to take the blame. Someone's going to be the fall person. So there's two goats, and the sins, well, the one goat's killed. And then the other goat, the sins are pronounced over it and is released in the wilderness. Which really brings us an illustration that what it's declared for us in the Psalms. So far as the east is from the west, so far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The whole idea of the scapegoat is a very powerful visual. And God speaks through visuals. We've been talking about this. He gives pictures. He gives allegories. He gives imagery. And there would be a very powerful imagery to see Aaron come out of the holy place after killing the bull. And, you know, it is interesting that on some days there could be more than one person in the holy place, the interior part, but never in the holy of holies. But on the one day he went in the holy of holies, no one else even went in the holy place. Everyone's outside. He has to stay outside. And he'd come out, and then he did the blood around the altar, and he would confess the sins. And, you, you know, the, the tabernacle was central to the people. So the 12 tribes were set up, four tribes in each direction, north, south, east, west, when they're in the wilderness wandering, to see this event. So you imagine we're all, just, we're all there like we are here tonight. And we're like watching Aaron. They're like, wow, there he's doing this. And the kids are like, Daddy, what's he doing? Mom, what's he doing? And they're like, shh, watch, watch what he's doing. And then he would come out, and they killed the goat. And then he laid the hands on the other goat, and they gave the goat to someone responsible, and they took the goat. I'm like, Mom, Dad, what are they doing with the goat? Like, where's the goat going? What's, what's it mean? What it means is the goat represents our sins. Well, where are our sins going? Far away, son. Butch, sin. That's Russian for daughter and son. Far away. Far away. So far away, you'll never find that goat. And by the way, don't go looking for the goat. If God says, take the goat to the wilderness and release it, think of all those goats that died one by one over time. Can you imagine if you're like just cruising through the Jane wilderness like David, running from Saul, and then you see a goat like, dude, dude, I think that's a scapegoat from two years ago. See, he had the same marking right under his eye, bro. Get out of here. Dude, it's a scapegoat. We've got to go the other way. <laughs> like, that's what that goat represented. It's, it's meant to go in the wilderness, never to be seen again. And Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave for our hope and justification is like the scapegoat. Our sins are not meant to come back. Now, the devil wants to bring back your sins and remind you of your sins. There's people that want to remind you of your sins. There's nothing more scary than us knowing ourselves better than anyone else knows us. So don't look too long in the mirror. Look to Jesus. We give it to him, and we just go forward. That's what we have to do. Like, it's not on me. Jesus is a scapegoat. It's on him. And so far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And he didn't, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that righteousness is not based upon our day-to-day adventures being a human being. Chapter 15 and all of our uncleanness. That righteousness is based upon our faith. Abraham believed God and was accounting for righteousness because God promised it. And that righteousness is based upon who Jesus is in character. Well, as Bobby was singing earlier, all your promises are yes and amen. Our righteousness is based upon believing Jesus for yes and amen. 
It's not based upon who I see in the mirror. <laughs> you know, if I look in the mirror, I'd be like, no, and I think not. But if I look up, it's yes and amen. Can I get a witness? Yeah. The mirror's like, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go to the law. There's nothing good there. Let's just keep going forward in grace and keep growing and going forward. That's what we want to do. That's what we need to do. That scapegoat, it's a beautiful illustration. I'm not making, like I said Saturday night, I'm not making up an allegory there or some story I got off the line. Like, here's a neat story that illustrates what God did for us with Jesus. You get two goats and you kill one. You put, no, this is God's story. He gave this to us to comfort us, to console us in our shortcomings and our failures, to encourage us. It's always too soon to quit. We have to get up and go forward because the scapegoat goes far away for a good reason. Now we finish up the chapter, verse 23. Then Aaron shall come to the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there, and he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and burnt offerings of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, their offal. Then he shall burn them, shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord." It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Close with this thought. I just think it's so beautiful that in the law, once a year, God set everything clean and straight. Did you catch that? Like, I mean, if you had faith and all the things that you couldn't take back from the last year, just like, man, yep. Because some things you can make right. Sometimes you can call someone and say you're sorry. Or you can say, hey, you know what? I kind of feel like, like my sister Barbie, when she had to make restitution, she stole the silver bar from her son, Jimmy, when she was doing drugs. And part of her crash recovery program is to make restitution. That silver bar was worth $900. So the first $900 she worked at Macy's, coming back from rehab, she gave Jimmy $900. She made restitution. Now, you can make that restitution in that case. We can't always make restitution. There's things that, you know, that we missed that we can't do anything about. And some of them are sinful and some aren't, right? Like, okay, you know, when my mom was dying, I thought I need to go down this night. I thought, well, she's almost always died this time of year from the flu. And she was strong just two days ago. She'll be fine. I'll go down on Sunday. And then by the time I got there the next day, she had passed. Like, or she was gone. She was in a deep coma. So I can't go back and change that. If I could go back to that Thursday night 
the day after Christmas, I would have gone down to San Diego County. But I can't. Can you all relate to days like that? There's just, yeah, there's life experiences. You just, you can't, you can't, you know, like I want to cry, but you just, it wasn't sinful. It was just something that you just didn't know, right? But there are things that are sinful that you do know, and maybe you can make them right. And that's what you can do. And so the Lord allows us to clear the slate once a year, and it's a fresh start. I think it's wonderful that in the law that points out just how defiled we are, he gives us a fresh start once a year. Once a year, a total cleansing spiritually. A total cleansing spiritually to kind of reboot, reload, and go forward. And so we know that God's plan is always to forgive, to cleanse, and to take forward according to his character in mercy and grace. Because God is faithful. All of his promises are indeed yes and amen.